We're going to be starting a book, and as we've done before, as we do, as we go through different books of the Bible, as we take the first Sunday, really to consider the book, and we read the book, uh, as long as it's not overwhelming, and even when it's overwhelming, like Nehemiah, we still read through it. But I'm so excited, I've been studying Colossians, and that's what we're going to go through the next few months. And it's amazing how God's Word will just change everything in you, as we were just sitting here, and songs that we've sung before, that I've sung many times before, and after studying Colossians and thinking through Colossians, I see things and I hear things in this song that directly reflect what Paul has said and what, who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. And it's amazing how, and I, that's what I've been praying for you guys, is that God would truly prepare us to walk through this and that he would change our minds, he would give us all wisdom, he would give us all knowledge as we then live out these lives in response to his gospel, in response to what he's done for us. And so thank you all for last week. Um, those of you who uh, graciously went and those of you grac who graciously couldn't go yet, we didn't gather here, uh, going to Cornerstone and being able to participate uh, with them last week in Simi Valley as a church for their 20th anniversary. Uh, it was something that they had invited us to and something as our relationship with them and our network that we have with them um, that was good for us to go. Um, but as we went, for me, it was, a, it was a challenging morning. And not necessarily bad, not necessarily good, okay, in, in that sense. I, but it was so, it felt so different to me. And that I, we've been gathering for two plus years here like this as a body, in this neighborhood, in this place, with interpretation going on so that we can speak to the neighborhood, so that we can bring in anyone singing Spanish and English songs back and forth. And it felt so different to be there. It wasn't better, it wasn't worse, it was just different. I know that Naomi, when she walked out after the service, she's like, well, what, what if there was someone that spoke Spanish in the, in the audience and they didn't even have any Spanish songs? What's up with that? Why in the world wouldn't they have Spanish songs? And it just made me realize that's her perspective. That's what she's known for the last two plus years, is this is what, how you do church. This is what it looks like when we come together. And so for us, it was, it was amazing to go there to something that was so familiar to me previously. And it seemed so different. And I was able to see things that I don't think I recognized or saw. And how I wish and I hope and I pray that God would give us even that perspective as we gather together. That it wouldn't just become normal. It wouldn't just become, well, this is what we do. That we'd stop and think, why is it that we sing in Spanish and English? Why do we have an interpreter beside me? Why are we praying for a Latino pastor that would come and that would teach in Spanish? Because we get so used to doing the things we do. Right? And we had a purpose for it to begin with, but sometimes we miss that purpose. And that's what, just I want us to take that minute, moment, and think about that. And that we would be intentional about that and consider those things as we gather together. Because our context is very, very different. Our body, the context of our body is different. The context of our lives is different. The context of this neighborhood is different. The context of our service is different. And I have to slow down because of the context. Right? So Melanie can keep up with me when you guys make faces and tell me I'm going too fast. But that's worth it. Right? That's worth it. That we can be here in this neighborhood and that God might use us in this neighborhood for His glory. And so just as we have to think about the context of Cornerstone, the context of Living Stones, what that looks like in our lives and in this neighborhood... I want us to stop before we go into Colossians, and, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to, I'm going to give you some background, some context about Colossians, then we're going to read through it in three different sections, and I'll get a, give you a summary of the section, 
Then we'll read the section. And we'll go through that. It's not a long book. It's only four chapters. Literally, it takes somewhere between 10 to 15 minutes to read. And I want to encourage you guys this week to read it. I want to encourage you to read it a few times. Um, I'm going to give you guys, after I finish and get it in Spanish, I'll give you guys an outline of sort of here's the plan for the next few months and here are the passages and how we're going to go about those passages so that you guys can read through the book as a whole. But then, too, you can, you can read and can consider the passage before we come on Sunday morning, before I teach on it. And then the hope is that I would also, and, and Josh and Trent, when they teach that we would have an outline for you guys to follow, that here are the main points of this passage, Here are the application pieces, here are the questions that we're asking ourselves and trying to make application in our lives, and that you guys would be able to have that each week, and that as we do discipleship, we can talk through that. So the idea is you're reading it before, you're considering it, we're studying it together on Sunday morning, and then you process through it and try and make application through that in discipleship. It gives you just a format to follow where we can walk through this together. So does that make sense? Everybody's with me? All right. So first to get the context, we have to start with a, a big context, okay? And we've been in Nehemiah, we've been in the historical writings of this one period of the Jews after they were sent into exile and came back to Jerusalem, and now we're jumping all the way after Christ, the church has been established, and Paul is writing this letter to a church. So that's a very different situation, a very different time in the story of God, and so I just want to review briefly the story. Alright, as I was with Andy this week and we actually started going through creation and talking about that in discipleship and it's so amazing as I'm reading Colossians and how I see this is so directly connected to creation and you see how God's story is connected throughout and as we read Colossians and we have this understanding and this context in which to place it. And thank you Karina for helping me with my Spanish and she made very sure that I got the accents in the right spot. All right. So the first creation, right? In the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, that God created. He created everything. He was over everything. He was before everything. And that He created, it says in 1.23, male and female. He created them. Both in His image. And He created us in His image to bear this image of God. And as we talked about that, that's that we have this capacity to want to have a relationship with God to interact with Him, to commune with Him, and then we have the capacity to reflect Him, to put Him on demonst- in demonstration. And as you look at the creation, it was amazing, this relationship that they had with the God as they walked in the garden, as He walked in the garden with them, this relationship that they had with each other, and then also the relationship they had with creation. It's, it's, it's crazy that they, God gave them work. He gave them responsibilities. This is before the fall, but they were caring for the creation. They were involved in that. So in all these areas, with God, with each other, and then with the creation, the relationships were perfect. The relationships were right. But then the fall. Then sin enters in. Humanity decides not, not God's standard, but my standard. I'm not going to trust completely in God. I'm going to go outside of God. All right? And sin enters in, and those relationships are broken. The relationship between God and them, the relationship between each other, and the relationship even with the creation. And God casts them out of the garden. God sends them out in this first exile. And He says, I can't be in relationship with you because of this sin between us, because I'm a holy God. But God's also a loving God, and so as soon as He sends them out, He starts this plan, this redemptive plan, how I'm going to prepare this way, I'm going to make this way to restore this relationship with you. 
and not just with you, but with each other and with the creation. And that's what this story of God is about, this whole redemptive story from the creation all the way again to the end, to the new creation, and how God is going to bring that to be. But what started with the fall, God is going to restore. And we're going to hear a lot about that in Colossians. So as he starts to restore, he brings a people. All right, He comes to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to increase you in numbers. I'm going to make you a nation. You're going to be my people. And then through you, I'm going to bless the nations. All right? So I've identified you, Abraham. I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless the nations. All right? That's the Abrahamic covenant. That's the promise that God made to Abraham. And that he began with Israel. But then they go into slavery for 400 years in Egypt. It doesn't look like they're going to be a people. It doesn't look like... They're going to make God known to the nations. And then God does what? He redeems them. He saves them. He brings them out of Egypt. And He brings them into the desert. And into the desert, He makes another promise to Moses. He says, I'm going to give you, He says, I'm going to interact with you, Moses. I'm going to speak to you, and you're going to speak on my behalf. And He gives him the law. He says, this is my law, and I want you to live according to it. I want you to make sacrifices so that you can be in relationship with me. And I want you to live according to my commandments so that the world can see who I am, that you can put me on display, that they would be drawn to me, that you'd be a light to the nations. But they didn't do that great, right? But God is faithful and He brings them into the promised land after a generation and He establishes them. He establishes Israel. He brings them to this place, even as we talked about in Nehemiah, this Jerusalem where He gathered His people and where His name he wanted his name to dwell there, in that place, and through his people. And at the height of that was David, a king after God's own heart. He was this king over Israel. And God makes another promise, just as he had made to Abraham and Moses, God makes another promise to David. And he says, through you, there's going to come a king. Through your line, I'm going to establish a king, and he's going to rule forever. All right? He's going to come. He's going to establish this new kingdom. He's going to rule forever for all of eternity. It's going to be this eternal reign. And of course we know that he was referring to Jesus. But I put this star there for us to remember. Because that's where, just after that, that's where we were in Nehemiah. Right? The people weren't able to live according to these commandments. They weren't able to keep it up. They weren't able to do... They weren't able to be holy enough. Right? They always fell short. And we saw that in Nehemiah. God wanted to dwell amongst them. He's like, I, I want my name to be made known there amongst you through these people and in this place. And it seemed like that was happening. It seemed like that was occurring as we went through Nehemiah and the wall was rebuilt and the people were restored. And then we ended in chapter 13 and it all fell apart. And I'm like, this is it? That's how Nehemiah ends. There's no happy ending. And I remember teaching a couple weeks ago and like... Nehemiah just left me wanting for something more. Like, there's got to be more. And I told you that at the end, the more is Jesus, right? It was pointing to Jesus. The people, they, they, God's name couldn't dwell amongst them and in that place without Jesus Christ, right? Nehemiah was an amazing leader. He did amazing things, but he was not a savior, and the people needed a savior. They needed redeeming. And so it was pointing to Jesus, and that's where we left off with Nehemiah. And so I didn't do it intentionally. I was thinking through this a few weeks before, but there's no book that gives a higher picture of Jesus 
than Colossians. And we were going through Nehemiah and we left just desiring for Jesus and now we get to Colossians and we're like, this is Jesus Christ. And it's going to talk about the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And everything in this book is related to Jesus Christ. Okay, we don't have to look for it. We're going to be there and we're going to camp there and we're going to see Jesus Christ. So Jesus came. Jesus came. God didn't leave, right? He was continuing this redemptive history. He says, I'm going to come on your behalf. God came from heaven to earth. He left his kingdom in heaven. He left his throne and he put on a human suit. He became completely human and he walked amongst us. He pursued us. And he lived a life that we can't live. But yet he died the death that we deserve. He went to the cross. He paid for our sin. That debt was canceled. Paul will talk about that in Colossians. And he did that on our behalf so that we could have this relationship with God, so that we could be restored with Him. That was taken care of on the cross. And so from Jesus, we move into the church, the church age. Right? The Holy Spirit has come. Christ has sent the Holy Spirit on His behalf. And He's building His church. He's gathering this people that have been restored, that have been reconciled to Him. And we're to live out, we're to bring forth, we're to pray that this kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And we would be be salt and light, right? We're not one big light that are drawing the nations to us, we're salt and light that goes out into the world to make His name known, to proclaim Jesus Christ. So that's where we're at now. We We were here in Nehemiah, and now we're here, okay? And the letter of Colossians. Everybody with me still? Alright? I think it's important for us to stop, for us to consider that. As I studied through, like I said, I've been studying through Colossians and then Andy and I sat down and reviewed the creation. I'm like, oh, look, look, at, look at all the answers to Look at creation, how I see that here in Colossians. So it's, it's important for us to keep all that in mind as we read through Colossians. Alright? That we know the big picture as we look at and focus in in one part. Alright, so the theme of Colossians. I'll give you guys the background now. The theme, I would say, the biggest theme, the biggest piece as it goes through Colossians is this impact of the gospel. And when I say the gospel, I mean the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Okay, And the gospel is throughout this book of Colossians. And it impacts and it shows and it talks about how the gospel is over and the gospel impacts everything. Okay, it says in all the cosmos, so from the universe, every from the biggest possible thing to the thing furthest from us, all the way down to our hearts. Okay, that the gospel would impact, the gospel would be over everything, everything from the cosmos to our heart. And so, as we go through this again, I'll get you guys an outline of the plan for teaching, but we're going to go through in three parts. The first part would be this gospel rule, how the gospel rules over us, how it's, it's the rule that we have. It's this kingdom rule. And then the second part is this reign. Because of that rule, then we live in this gospel reign, and it should reign in our lives. And then the last part, it gets down to a practical perspective and how the gospel will, through that rule and in that reign, how it will impact our relationships. So the rule, the reign, and the relationships. And these two things that we'll see throughout is the supremacy that I talked about and then the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the top. The gospel is the priority. The gospel is as high as it gets. Jesus Christ is God himself. 
and that in our lives and from the cosmos to our heart, Jesus Christ is sufficient to do everything that God wants to do. Everything. So His rule is supreme everywhere, even the cosmic rule, and His reign is supreme and impacts every area of our life, collectively and individually, and it's sufficient to change and transform and to restore everything. Everything, everything. All right? So, just as we go through this and as we read this, some application for you guys. Um, I want us to think about if we are living by the rule of Jesus and if we're under the reign of Jesus. Okay? I want you to keep those two things in mind. Do I live as if Jesus is supreme and do I live as if He is sufficient? In every area of my life and everything that I do, from my heart to my relationships with my family to my relationships with my church family to my relationships with my neighbor, and even thinking about the creation one day, do, do, I, rule, do I live with Him being in charge, with Him being King, and that that King, that, that Jesus Christ is sufficient for everything I need? All right, those are the two things. And let me give you questions so you can think through that. What do we let rule? What do we let rule us outside of Jesus? What do you let rule your life outside of Jesus? What do you make more important? What, what, what are those things that's, that bump up next to Jesus and then sometimes get above Jesus? What are those things that challenge for rule in your life outside of Jesus? Okay, that's His supremacy. And then the sufficiency, what do we look to fill ourselves outside of Jesus? What do you think you need? What is it that I need outside of Jesus? What is it that I need outside of the person and the work of Jesus? What is it that, I, that I'm striving for that I think I have to have outside of Jesus? So again, what do we let rule us outside of Jesus? And then what do we look to fill us outside of Jesus? Alright, you guys ready? We're going to read through in three sections. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 23. And what we're going to see here is we're going to first see a greeting. Alright, Paul is going to greet this church in Colossae. And this is a letter. This is an epistle. Alright, we were reading historical writing. We were studying that in Nehemiah. Now this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, in the city of Colossae. And as you study, this church was not in a very important place. Alright, times had changed. Their trade route had changed and Colossae was not an important place. And they think that the church was pretty small. But yet, Paul writes this letter to them. And then we are reading about it 2,000 years later. And Paul had never been to this church. We don't think that he had been to this church in Colossae. He did not plant this church. This was not a church that he had started. And we think that actually as we read through the letter, that Epaphras is the planter, is the one that started this church. And that Epaphras probably came across Paul when he was in Ephesus. And then went from Ephesus back to Colossae, which is like 120 miles, and went back to his hometown. And through that, he shared the gospel. And through that, a church was raised up. And God started to build his church. And so Paul has never been there, but he's only heard about this church, this gathering of believers, through Epaphras, who he knows, and who has shared the gospel there and started this church. And then we're going to see, he's going to say, I want you to orient your entire lives around the gospel. Everything starts with God. It's through God. God initiated this. God started this. He is supreme. And he says, I want your relationships, both vertically and then both horizontally within the church, 
they're going to be restored through the gospel. All right, this is what we're going to hear. I'm just giving you guys so you can listen to this and then we can see it as we read it. So your life is oriented to the gospel and then he goes on to say your life is going to be powered by the gospel. Everything you need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord you have in Jesus Christ. Everything you need to please Him. And then we get to the end of the section in verse 15 and it gives the most amazing, the biggest, the, the longest, the highest description of Jesus Christ in all of Scripture. All right, If you want to know about Jesus, if you want to memorize a passage about Jesus, who is Jesus and what has He done, you to memorize this passage, 115 through 20. All right? It's the highest picture of Jesus we see throughout the Scriptures. That He's supreme and He's sufficient to restore everything. All right, so let me read in English. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 23. And then Melanie will read in Spanish. If you have a Bible, turn to it. You guys read with me. All right? Don't check out. Read on the screen. Read here. Don't just listen to my voice. Okay? Read it. Hear it. A couple things together. All right? And just let it flow over you. We're not trying to get all the details. We just want to get the general understanding of the letter as we go through it. We'll go through it piece by piece in the months to come. All right, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, He, talking about Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So you guys see the supremacy of Jesus Christ in that. You hear that. 
the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. It's throughout the entire book. We're going to see that over and over again. But that's the gospel rule. In the next section, verse 23 in chapter 1, or verse 24 in chapter 1, all the way through uh, chapter 3, verse 3 that we're going to read next, it really talks about this gospel reign. Okay, if, if, if Jesus Christ is supreme in everything, then He needs to reign in everything. And so Paul starts off and he says his very purpose, his very ministry is to proclaim Jesus Christ. It's to proclaim this gospel to make Jesus known. And then he's going to do that. He wants to give them all wisdom and knowledge. And where is all wisdom and knowledge found? It's found in Christ. Okay? I want to make Jesus known and all wisdom and knowledge is found in Him. And he says for us we need to be rooted in the gospel as we walk. To walk this walk, to walk in a manner worthy of God, we need to be rooted in the gospel. That we wouldn't turn from Christ, that we wouldn't add to Christ, and that we wouldn't subtract from Christ, that we would walk with Christ. That's what we need to walk in a manner worthy of God. And that also that the gospel has done everything you need to this point in your life, everything you need, the gospel has been sufficient. It's given you new life. The gospel has, you've been able to share in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is sufficient for your salvation. It's sufficient to know God. And it's also, the gospel is sufficient to pay for your debt. He says your debt has been canceled. It was nailed to the cross. We're going to read that in a second. It's everything you need to have this relationship restored with God and for that to start to restore relationships around you. And one day, we're going to hear this restoration of this new creation. All right? The gospel is supreme, the gospel is sufficient, and we're going to see that here as it rains. And then hold on to the gospel. Hold on to the gospel as we grow. All right? So we have to be rooted in the gospel to walk, and we have to hold on to the gospel to grow. It's not just that we walk in the gospel and we stay the same way, but we're going to grow in the gospel. And he says again, the gospel is all you need to grow. All right? Transformation will only come in our lives. God will only restore us as we hold on to the head who is Jesus Christ. All right? He has to be supreme. And then He is, again, is sufficient to change everything in us. You'll see, He's like, it doesn't matter what rules, it doesn't matter about regulations, I don't want you worshiping angels, I don't want you coming up with these other philosophies, just Jesus Christ. That's all you need. That's all you need to grow. That's all you need to be restored, is Jesus Christ. And then He finishes with, this is our goal. Our goal is the Gospel, now and both later. Our goal is to seek Christ. That we would seek Christ and seek Him alone. That He would be our life now, and then He would be our life in the future. Okay? We're not waiting for this time when, yes, we're going to be face-to-face with Jesus Christ, that we're going to be with Him for eternity. But yet, He says, Jesus should be your life now. Not just later, but now. Chapter 1, verse 24. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to His saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, 
that he powerfully works within me. Verse 1 of chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, and that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule. And in Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith and the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you, who were dead in in your sin, in your trespasses, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from which the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So again, the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ, right? The Christ is the first thing. That's the very thing Paul was proclaiming, that Christ is the thing that we're seeking. That's our life. Our life should be now in Christ. Our life will be in the future in Christ. And as we walk with Him, He's sufficient for our walk. He's sufficient for our growth. Okay? We see that again in that passage. And then the last section, which will be chapter 3, verse 5, through chapter 4, verse 18. And it really moves into more of a practical, this is what you should then do. And it really shows how the gospel is going to impact our relationships. And when I say relationships, I mean how the gospel impacts everything, right? Our relationship with God, our relationship even internally with ourselves, our relationship with each other in the body, our relationship with our neighbors outside of the body. And then, too, how it will reflect one day our relationship with the creation. So, first, putting off 
Paul goes through this list of these things that we need to put off, these things that are not according to the gospel, that these things in our life are not according to Jesus Christ. And they're mostly a lot of self-focused things, okay? The things that are about me, the things that are about my life, the things that are not about Christ. And then he goes off, that's what you put off, and then he goes to the next session, so this is what you're going to put on for relationships. And he basically says, you put off what's not according to the gospel, I want you to put on what is according to the gospel. And instead of being self-focused things, he says, above all of these things, put on love. Right? And this love is what? Not a self-focused thing, but an other-focused thing. A God-focused thing, a neighbor-focused thing, my family-focused thing. It's not about me. He says, put off the self-focused things, put on the other-focused things which are according to the gospel. And then he gives these very um, direct, very applicational rules for relationships. Like how does this gospel rule impact our relationships in our family, in our church? Like I said, with those in other churches, with our believers globally, even in a sense, and then outsiders, with those that don't know the Lord, with our neighbors. How does the gospel, what are these rules for relationships as we interact in those areas? And then he ends with a final greeting. And he gives some personal information about his trip, about the people that are there. Chapter 3, verse 5, through the end, chapter 4, verse 18. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tachikas will tell you 
all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that, that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning who you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called uh, Justice, those are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Damas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. And when the letter has been read among you, have it also read in the churches of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You all just read the book of Colossians. Those of you who are bilingual, you're ahead of the game. You read it twice. Okay? Some of us only once. <laughs> but I want you guys to read this book this week. It's four chapters. It'll take you less than 15 minutes. Just read through it. Don't get uh, bogged down in it. Just read through it. Continue to read through it. Just see it as an overall theme. Just get used to it. Get uh, acquainted with it, in a sense. And then we're going to go through it, passage by passage. And I'm so... I'm so excited about that. I don't feel silly for saying that. I get, like I'm, uh, as we read through this, I want to stop and I want to tell you, I want to talk about each part of it, okay? But we're going to have the chance to do that. But as you read, as we uh, teach through this, as we talk through this in discipleship, as we go through this book, we can read, we can study, we can do all these things, we can put forth a lot of effort, but if Christ doesn't show up and if we don't trust Him, if He doesn't work, if the Spirit doesn't work through and illuminate this Word to us, and if the Spirit of God doesn't use this in our life to transform us, to apply it, it's really worthless. All right? This is not that we would just know more and we know more Scripture, but yet God would transform us and His Spirit would work in us. And so what I want to do is we're going to just take, as we do before, as we read, this, uh, read through a book, that we would just spend the next few minutes praying together as a body and pray through that God would show us, that God would convince us that we would truly believe that He is supreme, that Jesus Christ is supreme, and that He is sufficient for everything. That He is sufficient for everything that He is going to do, everything that He wants to do in us and through us and in this world. All right? That Jesus Christ is enough. He is our all in all. That is not how we think naturally. It's not what comes natural to us. Right? We're going to try and be sufficient on our own and not depend on Christ. We're going to try and put other things above Christ instead of putting Christ and making Him supreme. And so I just want us again as a body to pray that God would use this in our lives as individuals, as families, as a church family. All right? That God would use us over the next few months, that He would give us understanding, that He would transform our hearts.